Welcome to Talking Kotlin. On this episode, I'm sitting down with Marcos Placona, and we're talking serverless with Kotlin. Marcos, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I know that you and I met briefly at uh, KotlinConf last year, uh, where you were giving a talk on uh, the same topic, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so that was a uh, that was my well, that was I was gonna say that was my first KotlinConf, but it was also your first KotlinConf. Uh, so, I think it was everyone's first Kotlin call. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I, I had a I had a fantastic time there. Yeah. So yeah, that's where we that's where we met. Yeah, it went uh, it went well actually, and uh, of course we're having the second one this year in Amsterdam in Amsterdam. October, which is yeah. going to be even more exciting, right? Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to like go to Kotlin Conf and not feel jet lagged. Uh, I think that's going to be a, a really good experience for me. Yeah, I was going to say I'm looking forward to actually being at a Kotlin Conf where I can sleep a few hours because yeah. last year before between organizing and jet lag it was horrendous. Yeah, but, I can I can imagine. And I think you told me you were you were traveling after that as well which uh which obviously isn't isn't helpful. I went straight home, so Yeah, I was home for like I think 3 or 4 days and then I was uh I went to Asia for 2 weeks. Okay. So three countries and a lot of jet lag yeah countries. i can't i can't even remember anymore a lot of a lot of different time zones yeah i can imagine yeah. so that wasn't much fun <laughs> i know but anyway this is actually um it's great for you to come on because this is a topic that uh is of interest to me as well the the whole serverless thing it's also a topic that i've extensively made fun of uh okay. but you know to be fair i make fun of everything uh, even kotlin <laughs> Uh, so, you know, I'm not discriminating in any way, any kind of technology or platform. I, I, I laugh at it all. Uh, but in particular, serverless is interesting because it has, you know, I mean, first of all, the name isn't that intuitive of what exactly it means. Uh, you know, I, I guess once you know what it means, then you understand where it comes from. But yeah. so, you know, I thought this will be a good opportunity to, talk a little bit about serverless technology and of course where Kotlin fits in all this and how you can use it with Kotlin. Cool. So I think the first place where we could start is what exactly is serverless? Could you give us a short description of that? Yeah, I can give you. So the funny thing about serverless for me is like the first time I looked up serverless, I was like, okay, so I kind of get an idea of what serverless is because obviously, you know, you don't have a server. And I looked, this, I looked this thing up and I find a Martin Fowler's blog post. And Martin Fowler describes serverless as architectures that refer to applications that significantly depends on a third-party service or, or on custom codes that is in an ephemeral container. And this was like, I don't even know what this means. Like, you know how Martin Fowler writes, right? And, uh, and I was like, I don't even know what this means. And then uh, the next... Uh, the next center I found, so the next hit on Google I found said serverless, using someone else's Kubernetes cluster. And this was like an eye opener for me because I was like, yes, okay. So I think that now makes sense because the, the, the whole idea with serverless is, is no ops. Like you, you, as a, you as a developer, you don't necessarily want to do all the operations. Like you don't, wanna, you don't necessarily want to go and spin up a server and configure Nginx or configure Apache and do all the installations and do all the updates and everything. Sometimes you just want to build code and you just want to run it. And the idea with serverless is basically that, okay? So you have someone else uh, taking care 
of the so someone else who's usually more capable than 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 you if you're just a developer like myself uh you have someone else who can actually take care of that stuff for you okay so you're not specifically paying a person to take care of your server but you are paying for a service so you're paying to be able to just go and put your applications in there so this is what serverless is um for me okay so if we put that on a continuum of the different types of ways in which you can deploy an application right back in the old days you used to have your own server yeah in your house yeah with your um router configured to accept incoming socket connections <laughs> uh then we had these isps that you moved these servers to and then we moved to and that was called uh you know you could now have a server at an isp which was classified under infrastructure as a service right yeah if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, infrastructure as a service, yes. Right. And then we said, okay, well, I don't want to have to maintain my own servers. Why don't I just uh, let some, some, some provider do that for me? And then the provider's like, oh, okay, well, we can, uh, we can do this amongst multiple people. So now we can share a single server. And that moves on to platform as a service, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So the next step would be serverless. I would say the next step is serverless because obviously when you have a platform as a service, like uh, when you are, so serverless is a kind of a platform as a service as well. Uh, but the one thing about those kind of um, shared, because uh, I think so, some providers, they'll give you a, a platform as a service where basically you have a share of their, of their service. But what usually happens when you have a share of their service is because their services are somehow limited, what you're going to end up with is you're going to end up with someone just, I don't know, someone just blowing up on Hacker News, for example. And you, what you will notice is that that server will suddenly start to slow down. And obviously, there's ways you can, with virtualization, there's ways you can control that. Some of the good ISPs will be able to control that. But I've been on kind of both sides. I've been on the side where, you know, I, I published something and the ISP got in touch with me and they were like, hey, uh, we're going to have to terminate your contracts because like you're just getting too much traffic. And I was like, yeah, but that's the point. Like you, you guys take care of it. And they were like, yeah, no, I'm sorry. People are just complaining. Cause like you're just using too much of the service. So you might want to just get a dedicated server. And then, you know, when you go into getting a dedicated server, now it's back to you. It's back to you taking care of it. It's back to you, like doing the patches and updates and security updates and everything. Uh, whereas, like, what I really like with with serverless is, I don't I don't have to think about any of it. All I do is I just tell them, hey, I want to be able to run something on the JVM. Uh, it doesn't really matter uh, how heavy it is the the thing I'm running on the JVM. Obviously, serverless is is limited somehow in terms of like response times and everything. But they don't really care about what I'm running and how many hits I'm gonna get because. Obviously, what's going to happen at the end is if I have a if I have a, a a if I have an application running on a serverless container, for example, I'm going to pay for how many times I get requests on on that application. And the one thing to note here on paying or how many times I get requests on their application is usually what you have is especially when you have like an API, for example, you're paying for the entire time your API is running on, on this, 
platform as a service. Okay, so I, I don't want to I don't want to name anyone, but there's a bunch of like platform as a service services out there, and you're paying for the entire time. So as long as you have your code deployed in there, you're paying for it. Okay, so okay, but before we get to the payment, let's yeah. let's slow down a second, okay. right? Because platform as a service, we're talking about that. I I you know I want to run on a virtual machine or I want to run in a in a container, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay, so then I'm responsible for now either building that container, which essentially means I'll just go and copy someone else's Docker image and not care about anything that <laughs> they might have put in there, yeah. right? Um, kind of like the story around NPM packages where people are like, oh yeah, what if what if I'm potentially putting in code there that, 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 that could hack your system, right? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I've got the Docker container and I'm responsible for making sure that this Docker container uh, is up to date and it's got the right version of the JVM and it's got the right version of whatever I need to run my application, right? And I deploy this and away you go, right? Yeah. And then what you were saying about the point of payment is that now I'm basically, as as, as soon as this, uh, this application is deployed, be it in a virtual machine, be it in a dedicated server, be it in a Docker container, yeah. I'm paying for it, you are. right? Okay. Yeah. Now the next point was the the serverless. So the serverless is exactly what is it? Is it me just? I mean, what is the? You know, if we went from machine to virtual machine to container, yeah. What is the next uh, unit that we're talking about? Is it what is it? Is it a function? What what exactly is it? So the serverless is so they they call they call serverless like whatever you're deploying to into serverless environments you call them uh, they, they are called functions and functions are basically you know as you know as like as developers will know functions are just like a, a single purpose thing so you wouldn't be deploying on a, on a serverless environment you wouldn't usually be deploying your entire website for example you could be deploying parts of your api for example you could be deploying your api um, but each one of the um, each one of the the your API will run as a as a function on this on this serverless environment. So I'd say function is what you would call it. Uh, so at least this is what I call it. Uh, I just so give me a concrete yeah. example of what you would deploy to a serverless. Cool. I can give you uh, I can give you one example of something I built just last week. Uh, and this is a this is a this is a fun one. So we have a we have an events API which we use to manage all of our events. So we have a bunch of developer evangelists in the in the company I work for, and uh, we have the events API, and we wanted to be able to get people to see what those events are. And the one thing we found, the one way we found to do it was how about we just build a Slackbot? So Slackbot is one good example of something that you could deploy on a serverless uh, on a on a serverless container because it's a function. You build something that sort of like reads off the API. It needs to return in a certain format. It's a kind of a one-to-one -one thing. So as a, as a user, you go to Slack and you say, hey, I want to see the events for Marcus now. And that makes an API request and returns it to Slack. So it returns in the right format. So that's a, that's a good example. I built some other crazy things. Like I built a, a doorbell, for example, that you know, whenever you press on my doorbell, I get a phone call. Uh, so that's that's another example. It's like a single-purpose application. Okay. So now, in this specific example of the the API call, what what exactly are you deploying uh, as part of this serverless deployment? Is it is talking? Let's say uh, we're talking Kotlin code. 
what am I deploying? Am I deploying a, a, a single jar with a single function in it or a class or a, con, so, a, a series of classes with series of functions? Yeah, so you deploy a jar. So usually uh, whenever I, so when, you know, talking Kotlin, we are, we're deploying jar files. So we just get our, get our application. Uh, however, our application is structured, turn into a jar file, package into a jar file, push that jar file and just tell the function what the entry point to the jar file is. So if, if the entry point of your jar file is a main class, for example, this is where it's gonna go, okay? And obviously now you can pass parameters to it and everything. So you are basically just packaging that into a jar file and pushing that to the, pushing that to the, the serverless container and it deals with it. So it's gonna deal with the whole deployment and everything for you. Okay. so. To compare that with an alternative, let's say that I just have a single API point that someone wants to, you know, I want to make available to people. Instead of me having to take, for instance, I don't know, some some web server technology uh, on the JVM, such as Spring. Yeah. Instead of me having to create a Spring application with a single entry point, which is, a, let's say, a REST controller, whatever, and then that has a single API deploy that and all of the ceremony that goes around deploying that yeah all you're saying is just take your class with your function and deploy this as a jar and tell the serverless platform provider what the entry point yeah, is right that's right yeah and and that's okay. not to say you shouldn't be able to do a spring application as well i have done spring applications as well for this and it's just a I, so the, the way I kind of the way I kind of build this application, especially like you know when I'm building like a doorbell or when I'm building a Slack bot, is I just want it to be as lean as possible. I just want it to I just want to be able to make a request to this and get a response. This is what I want to do, okay? And and building it this way means I don't need to carry any of the boilerplates with me. I don't need to deploy this massive Spring application so I can run my Kotlin codes on a on somewhere on the internet. Okay. I hate to bring this up, but actually before I bring that up, this really reminds me of back in the old days when we used to have CGIs, right? Oh yeah. Um, which is essentially, you know, yeah, you, you used to have one little process on, on the server that would run one little thing kind of thing. And then, um, yeah, it, it just goes round and round. <laughs> uh, what I was going to bring up is that, is that wretched word, you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, I think I do. <laughs> Drum roll microservices, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, so are these nano services now? <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, so that's actually a serious question, I... right? Cause, uh, <laughs> I read an article recently about how someone had moved from, uh, microservices and containers to uh, nano services, or was it Pico Pico services, or something like that? So that's where we're going now. That's where we go. It's a great time to be alive, isn't it? It's like we're moving. <laughs> uh, I I don't know if I would call it a, a nano service, but you know, the the first time I heard about nano services, uh, the the idea, like the person who explained nano services to me, was almost talking about the same things I'm talking about now, which is like this single purpose application with this single purpose endpoint. So maybe that's a nano service, but- um, Isn't that a microservice? Uh, well, the, with, a, with a microservice, you can, you can have- You can have different- Multiple endpoints. Yeah, you can have different endpoints. Whereas with a nano service, the idea of a nano service is like you have this only one endpoint. So it does this one thing and this one thing only. 
and that's it. So it's applying single responsibility principle <laughs> to microservices. <laughs> it is a fantastic time to be alive. I tell you this. <laughs> okay, so this sounds fantastic, right? Because this sounds awesome that I could just take my code, so some Kotlin class and Kotlin function. And uh, well, in Kotlin, I guess I don't even need the the function, the, no? I mean, the class, because yeah. I, yeah, I could just put a top-level function and then yeah. define the default uh, entry point that that creates. Uh, so, and we'll get to how to do that in a moment, but here's the thing that I'm thinking, right? Because one of the things that I've heard a lot around microservices is, sure, you move away from a single ball of mud uh, to orchestrating a lot of other things, and I use a term that I won't use now uh, to describe this. So, you know, I'm just seeing this kind of like, okay, I am generally not going to have a single function in my whatever service it is that I want to provide. So what are the benefits of me actually doing this as opposed to maybe doing something that is uh, more maintainable if I'm, if you know, I don't have an army of engineers that are uh, focusing around all of this, right? Because it just feels like I'm, you know, whereas before I could have a single application that does a bunch of things. Now you're saying to me, deploy all of these different things in different locations, and you're going to have to worry about if and when they need to coordinate. Or would you say that when you do these kinds of serverless uh, deployments, it's when there is not real coordination between the different ones? I, I would very much say that. And um, it's funny because I, so when I when I started sort of like looking into into serverless, uh, I, I, I feel like I had the same question. I feel like this is the question that gets asked me quite a lot. Like, should I just move everything to serverless? Like, should I, should I just break down my systems even further and now just have everything on serverless? And my answer to this is no. Because or your answer should be yes and pay me as a consultant to do it for you. <laughs> I, I mean, ultimately, I want, I want the internet and I want software engineering to be a good place. And I feel like if I, even if I, someone paid me as a consultant to do it, I'd be doing a disservice to those people because uh, serverless is like, I, I usually recommend serverless as like if you have a, if, if you don't need any orchestration, okay? Like if you don't need any, you know, if, if you're using your MongoDB database, for example, if you are using those things, then maybe serverless is not really for you. And I say that because serverless, uh, most of these serverless providers, they offer databases, okay? But most of those databases offered by them are databases that they manage. So those are, you know, those are, they're not databases, they're like data stores. Uh, so it's just like stuff where you can dump. Uh, places where you can dump documents. So if you are, if you need this kind of orchestration, like if you're a, you know, if you have a, if you have a gigantic Docker file where you're, you know, you have a, I don't know, you have a, a uh, you have a very specific version of Python installed because your system only runs on that specific version of Python, for example. Uh, if you're using MongoDB, like if you're building or if you're using like Postgres, if you're using those kind of things then I, you know, I don't suggest you moving into serverless. Like serverless is not for you uh, in, in, this, in this case. But if you are building applications that don't need any kind of orchestration, if you're building applications that just need to exist and you just need to make requests to the, end, to the endpoint, then this is what serverless uh, is for. This is what serverless works best for. Right. And when you mentioned the vendors, uh, 
you know, let's be explicit. I mean, uh, I, I believe if we're talking about the major cloud vendors here, we have Amazon that uh, provides serverless yeah. uh, technology in the, in under the name of Lambdas, right? Correct. Okay, and then Microsoft does it under the name of Functions. Yeah. And what about Google? Do they provide anything? Yeah, Google does Google Cloud Functions, uh, but Google Cloud Functions is not something that um, I... So Google Cloud Functions doesn't support JVM. So that wouldn't work with Kotlin, for example. Google Cloud Functions only supports um, JavaScript for now. Okay. Uh, okay. But there's another, so, there's another one uh, which I just want to add to the mix because I found it and I was like astonished because it's actually very good. So IBM has an offer uh, with Bluemix, uh, which is called OpenWhisk. And OpenWhisk yeah. is, a, is an open source system. So this is why I find uh, IBM interesting in this in this kind of like uh, on, you know through the vendors. Yeah, actually, IBM is doing a lot of interesting stuff with the Blue Mix uh, things. You know, I was I attended once a, a vendor session by them, and it was really really interesting because they were talking about all of the AI that they're offering through Blue Mix. Yeah, uh, and it was really really powerful stuff what they're doing. Yeah, it, it definitely is. Yeah, but coming back to the main. Uh, vendors or or even IBM, yeah. right? We see this as a very specific thing, right? While the concept may exist across multiple vendors, my question here is, am I not somehow locking myself into a specific vendor? Because if I look at infrastructure as a service, I could potentially move vendor. If I look at platform as a service, unless I'm using a platform specific service that that vendor provides like like let's say for instance that well now everyone provides everything you know like google cloud platform provides .net uh, microsoft provides java yep. and and amazon provides everything right yeah so there again my risk is somehow mitigated but when i move to functions am i not uh, locking myself in or just the fact that this is essentially running on the jvm there is no issues in portability for me. So, um, yeah, that's a good question because this is something I came across as well. So when I, I, I basically did a comparison of what those providers give you and like, uh, I am, I am, I'm this kind of developer who doesn't like to be locked to anything. Like I want to be able to move providers tomorrow without having to worry about this. Like I don't want to have to rebuild stuff. And when you think about, uh, you know, anyone else, any other company, I bet they'll be on the same kind of situation. Like they don't want to rebuild stuff because they're changing providers. And what I found is the answer is, is, is yes and no. And the answer is yes and no, because some providers will lock you in and some providers won't. Okay. So I looked at uh, AWS Lambda, for example, and, and AWS Lambda, they require you to use certain libraries in your application so you can actually run it on, on AWS. Um, so that, that for me was a cool, um, it works, it's so cool, but I'm now locked to you. So if I want to change providers, I'm going to have to go and change my code. And, and ideally I want to be able to not only be able to change providers, but what if I want to run on multiple providers for whatever reason, like, you know, those are all in the clouds, but what if I want to run on multiple providers because I know that a certain provider offers the best service in a in a different in you know in a certain geographical area. Uh, so AWS Lambda was one for me that was a bit disappointing on that because they I had to change my code to run my to run it on on AWS Lambda 
which was which was not ideal for me. Uh, but not everyone is the same. So when you talk about Azure functions, for example, you don't need to do anything special. It's just a JVM. It's just a jar file. Your jar file comes. So I think I think they call it fat jars, right? So the the jar files that actually contain everything. So your your jar files have all your libraries and everything. So they just come with everything. So they're just ready to be deployed. Uh, so as long as you can give like Azure Functions, for example, a fat jar, which is this jar file with everything, then you're good. Like you don't need to make any changes to your code. Same thing goes for OpenWhisk or IBM. So can we change the slogan now of, I think it's Josh that says make uh, jar not war or war. We can say now make fat jar, not jar. Yeah, make fat jar, yeah. not jar. Yeah, for make far. serverless. Yeah. We we'll just call it far, make far. <laughs> make far. <laughs> oh God. Right. Okay. So now coming specifically to Kotlin. Yeah. Uh, so you already said to me that uh, Google Cloud Platform is kind of out of the picture because they don't provide support for yeah. uh, JVM. However, I could say, but Kotlin compiles to JavaScript. So couldn't I run it using JavaScript? You could. Yeah. That's um, so. That's not something I. So that's something I looked at, but that's not something I tried in terms of deployment. Uh, the one thing I can tell you about uh, Google Cloud Functions as well is just like AWS Lambda, Google Cloud Functions requires you to use some libraries uh, from them. Um, and, and again, so this locks you in. But I would okay. say that as long as you're able to compile to JavaScript, then you should be able to deploy to Google Cloud Functions. Right. So now let's take a function, right? I'm going to create a function in Kotlin, yeah. and I want to deploy that to, let's say, AWS Lambda. Yeah. What exactly does that involve and how much friction is there? And, and whether is this friction because of Java JVM or is it specific to Kotlin? I'd say the... Like what is the first step that I would do? I would just basically compile that into a jar and then what do I do next? So you literally compile that into a jar and having that compiled into a jar, you would just use the CLI. So all of these providers offer a CLI, okay? Command line interface. Yeah, command line interface. Yeah, yeah I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, so all of them uh, offer a, a command line interface, which you will just install on your favorite uh, command line, and you will be able to interact with it. So very much like uh, like what you will do when you push some code into GitHub, for example. Obviously, you know, you're using Git on that, uh, but it's very much the same idea. So you've got your jar file, and all you have to do now is just literally uh, push it into there. Uh, the way uh, the way you can, you, you can do everything through the CLI, so you can create your function, like have your, you know, the namespace for your function and everything created via the CLI, or you can just do it via the interface. All of them off also offer an interface. So you can do, you can literally drag and drop your jar file into a website, okay? And as long as you're able to tell what the entry point for your jar file is, the 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 providers will be able to work it out for you. It's actually pretty cool the way the way they do it. And with regard to Kotlin specifically, is there any kind of friction or just does AWS just work? It just works. Yeah, I nice. yeah it, it it absolutely just works, which is which is what makes me really happy. Okay, because this is what you want. I wanted to I wanted to just work, and it just works. Um, you 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 know you you. As as like I said, as long as you're able to create a fat jar, it just works, which is amazing. Is that actually trademarked? It just works. 
Because uh, otherwise we could just totally do Kotlin. It just works. I like that. I yeah. like that too. I like that. Uh, well, if it's yeah. not if it's not trademarked and you you trademark it, uh, just remember me. Um. <laughs> oh yeah, my lawyers will be in touch. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll we'll discuss that. Yes. Um, um, but hey, we'll get we'll let you off easy. Uh, so, right. So okay, I. I see the I see the whole picture of serverless. Uh, thank you, um, and it's great to see that Kotlin works essentially yeah. with no friction at all with all of this. But where do you see the future of serverless? Because you you did say that you know I don't want to like people come and sadly a lot of times you actually do see blog posts and talks and things like saying the future is serverless, right? Yeah. And you know you have to often wonder like what is the underlying reason to say something like this because a lot of people do take these things literally you know i wish more often we would question in our industry why we're adopting a technology as opposed to just blindly uh, adopting it so what do you see as the future of serverless do you see us moving towards a serverless future with all of our applications so the the way i see it is I wouldn't say, uh, so I, I like the idea of serverless. I like the idea of like being a developer and being able to build my stuff without having to think about a, a server. Um, now, when it comes to serverless functions, for example, which is what we've been talking about, serverless functions are a bit more limiting, okay? Because obviously now you have a single purpose thing and you know you go back to the, uh, to the nano services that we, that we, that we joked about. Uh, but I like the idea of serverless. I like the idea of the way serverless works um, right now. So the, the the future I see is obviously you know we, we're close to it because you know we have all of our applications in the cloud right now. When you when you try and you know if you need to deploy something to a server, it's very easy for you to get a server. It's very easy for you to spin up a a micro instance of a server and then just like tear down. It's very easy for you to use templates. And this is where this is where I see us going. Like I don't necessarily see us going to a place where everything will be a function. Like we're gonna be breaking down our monolithic applications into three million functions. And now you have, you know, you have to manage all those things. I don't see that and I don't want that to happen. Um, but the idea of serverless itself is is really interesting because you you have some really good people who are really good at operating you know, service. That's not me. Um, so I, you know, I, I am the developer who likes to just push the stuff into the server and, and you know, see that it works on the other side. So I, I very much like the idea of it. And, and maybe serverless functions just kind of sits in between that. Okay, so would you say that serverless kills DevOps? And by DevOps, please, I do not mean a role and I do not mean a department, and I sure don't mean software, but I mean the idea of what you're saying, which is as a developer, I really don't care about ops. Yes, right? I, I, would, I would say so. So that's, that's one of the things I kind of emphasized on, on. So when I gave my presentation back at Kotlin Conf, I, that's one of the things I, I emphasized because on, you know, on the old days, you were the, you were the ops you were doing the ops like you were doing all the the stuff that you're not really very familiar with you were using the unpatched versions of the jvm you didn't know if you had to use 
the Oracle JVM or OpenJDK, you didn't know what to use. Um, so I would say, yeah, serverless, serverless takes away the ops side uh, from, a, from a developer. And I very much like it. But what about, uh, you know, s stepping back one, one level up around the whole idea of microservices, right? Because again, you know, we said the whole world shouldn't go serverless. Yeah. It, it's fair also to very much say the whole world shouldn't go microservice, right? Because one of the costs of microservices is exactly the opposite of what you're saying, which is way more heavy on the ops side. Yeah. Now I really do have to worry about the the ops. So, you know, a lot of companies have gone on this trend of, oh, we're doing everything with microservices, right? And and now we're stuck with orchestrating so many different services. Yeah. Is there any kind of temptation of people thinking, saying, well, wait a minute, if big mall of mud is bad, microservices comes at a cost because of ops, let me just go full-blown serverless because then I get these kind of like single-purpose services and I don't have to worry about the ops. Or is that just completely too far-fetched? I, I have seen this. I have seen this happening. I have seen some people um, moving their, their microservices into serverless and I have seen some success in it. Um, I'd say, so the, the, the one interesting thing about... Uh, moving away from microservices and going into serverless for me was uh, I'm, I'm an Android developer, okay? So I, I, I build Android applications a lot and I know a bunch of Android developers and I've seen people who had, their, had these APIs somewhere built by someone and no one was actually able to manage this because this, you know, someone built it and they had these APIs running and they were like, how about we can, how about we just move it to something that we actually have control? Um, so I, I, I have seen it, it working successfully. I have seen people using serverless, uh, uh, on, on a successful way and maybe even more being more successful than using, uh, microservices, for example, because of the, the whole, like the whole orchestration that you talked about, uh, which is just something that a lot of people just can't really grok. It's not something I can grok, for example, the whole, like, oh, I need to have, uh, I need to have a database um, started, but then you know my my code's not relies on this database, and suddenly you have this like gigantic Docker file here with a bunch of things, and like there's all the all the things happening on all the different ports and everything. Um, and yes, with serverless, you kind of move away from this, which is which feels very good. Cool. Well, uh, we're running short on time. It's been great chatting with you. Thank you for. Uh, coming on the show and explaining to me finally what the concept of serverless means and it's really great to hear that it there is zero friction when working with Kotlin yeah it's uh, it's absolutely fantastic and and I completely recommend even if serverless is not going to be the thing for you I, I recommend just like give it a go give it a play it's like it all starts off free anyway so you're not paying for anything you can make something like a mini request in any of those big providers without spending a penny um, I, so I think it's totally worth giving it a go just so you see how, you know, how it works and how, how nice it is. I, I actually really enjoy it. Cool. Well, thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me.